Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and then they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which had heard John speak and followed him was named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him, everybody say brought him. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and of the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, and I love this response, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? You don't know me. Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Everybody say, greater things. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Today, I want to bring a message that I'm calling this to start off this brand new series, Chain Reaction. Chain Re- Everybody look to your neighbor and say, Chain Reaction. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have on a weekly basis to worship you, to learn from your word. God, I pray that for the next few minutes that we would be able to put away any mental barriers or distractions from us receiving the word and the message that you have for us. And God, I pray that we would understand that you have been so good to us and so uh, gracious to us and your love has been poured out to us and that Uh, Good news, the good news of the gospel should then go to other people. God, I pray that we would realize that we've been brought to you so that we can bring others to you. And Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, you will encourage and challenge us from your word. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today, 
How many of you enjoy a good game show? Anybody like that? You like to watch a good game show? My wife, Katie, loves to watch a good game show, and uh, she's very interested in game shows. And in fact, it wasn't until we got married that I realized and discovered that there's an entire network on TV dedicated to game shows, okay? The Game Show Network. Look it up. You can thank me later. And uh, Katie likes game shows. She's actually auditioned for many game shows. And she's been on several different game shows. And uh, the other day, uh, I heard Katie, she was on a Zoom call with her brother and sister and a producer for a show. And they were auditioning on Zoom for another show that she is trying to get on. And this show is called Chain Reaction. Anybody ever heard of the game show Chain Reaction, right? That's because none of you are subscribed to the game show television network, okay? You need to get on that. And uh, Chain Reaction is an interesting game. I had not heard of it uh, either. And so Katie introduced me to it the other day. And so we were watching an episode. And essentially what this show is about, Chain Reaction, is uh, there will be a list of words. And you have to guess what those words are going to be, and every word connects to the next word. And so one word might be hot, and the next uh, word starts with a C, and you have to guess what it is, hot coffee, and then the next word connects to that, so it might say hot coffee, and then shop, and every word builds on another, hence there is a chain reaction. And the truth is this morning that if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, that God has called us to share our faith with other people, and when it comes to the gospel message, there should be a chain reaction. When we are saved, when we encounter the gospel message, that good news of the gospel should not just stay with us, it should actually go through us, and one person that is saved should lead to another person that is saved, that should lead to another person that is saved. That is the design all throughout scripture. In fact, uh, if you read the gospels, and if you read uh, the book of Acts as the church was unfolding, you see this time and time again that there was a multiplication process. There was a a Swiss theologian, his name was uh, Frederick, Frederick Godet, and he said that one lighted torch serves to light another. Or perhaps in modern day vernacular, one sparkler at the 4th of July serves to light another sparkler at the 4th of July, right? Uh, we know there's a chain reaction uh, that is involved. And all throughout the book of Acts, we see this process. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 6, verse number 7. Everybody with me so far today? Acts 6, verse number 7. And the word of God increased... And the number of the disciples multiplied. Everybody say multiplied. Acts 9.11. Then the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. That means to be built up. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Uh, We know in Acts chapter 12 or somewhere 24, the word of God grew and it multiplied. And so the business of the gospel has always been about multiplication. There should be a chain reaction. Charles Spurgeon said this. I will not believe that you have tasted of the honey of the gospel if you can eat it all yourself. And so often what we have experienced is we have the good news of the gospel that has come to us and we cherish it and we should and we celebrate it as we should. But here's the question. Are we being a conduit for the gospel to be spread to others? The gospel has come to us. Now is it going through us? I'm thankful today that God has brought us here together. Even this morning in church, I'm thankful that God has brought us together. I'm thankful for our church family. I believe that there's something special happening in our church family. I might be a little biased, but I happen to think we have the greatest church in the world, and we have the greatest dream team in the world. I love what God is doing here in this place. I love that God has brought us together, but God has not brought us together to simply be a social club, to simply come in a few times a week to get a little bit of inspiration to keep us going. No, God has called us together to be enlisted in the army for such a time as this to go out to the highways and to the hedges and to compel them to come in. 
It's not just about us and us for and no more. Uh, God has called us to go and to reach those that are hurting and that need the gospel message. And so are we a part of that chain reaction? Are we allowing the gospel to go through us? Now, we come to John chapter 1, and I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open and ready today. John chapter 1. And we find this passage where Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. And Jesus is calling his disciples to himself as he is getting started. The gospel of John is a unique gospel. 90% of the gospel of John is unique to John. Uh, By the time that the gospel of John was in circulation, uh, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke were already available. And so much of the gospel of John is unique to John. And John had a purpose statement for the gospel of John. He says, these things are written so that you might believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might believe in Jesus. John was an evangelist at heart. He he wanted uh, the readers of this gospel to understand that Jesus is not just a good person or a good teacher, but Jesus is exactly who he said he is. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so this is the purpose of the gospel of John. And we see Jesus coming together and he's calling the disciples uh, to himself. And in this scene, in this scenario, what we see is a chain reaction. And, and I want us to see it together. If you're taking notes today, I want us to see four ways that we can see a chain reaction for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, four ways. Everybody ready today? Number one is this. We have to recognize that the world is searching. Make no mistake about it, the world today is searching for answers. The world is searching for truth and searching for purpose and searching for meaning and a lot of times searching in all the wrong places. But we have to recognize, if we're going to take a step back and understand how important the good news of Jesus Christ is, we have to recognize the world is searching. Now, I want you to see how Jesus said it in verse number 38. It says this. In verse 38, Jesus turned and he saw them following. So he saw these two uh, people following him, these, these disciples, And he said unto them, what seek ye? In other words, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? Now, that's a great question for anyone in life. That's a great question for us this morning. What are you looking for? In life, what are you searching for? What is it that you desire? Is it happiness? Is it peace? Is it purpose? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? Now, in the first century, this was a great question that Jesus was asking these two uh, men that were religious. What are you searching for? Because uh, there could have been a spectrum of different things that they were searching for. Perhaps uh, they were legalists and they were searching for someone to pontificate all the details of the law. And that's what they were looking for in a teacher. Maybe uh, they were zealots. They were looking for a fight. Uh, Maybe they were nationalists looking for a political savior that would overthrow the Roman government. And so Jesus says, what are you looking for today in your life? Introspectively, what are you looking for? What is it that you're searching for? Is it it true purpose? Is it meaning? Is it satisfaction? Is it fulfillment in life? Is it just simply happiness? According to LifeWay Research, they said that just this last year, 57% of United States adults during the pandemic said that they pondered at least one time a month, how can I find more meaning and more purpose in my life? 60% of adults are wondering, how can I find more meaning? How can I find more purpose? And I want you to know today that the only place that you can find true meaning and true purpose is in your creator, the one that created you, the one that called you, the one that designed you, the one that long before you were ever even born had a purpose and plan for your life. Hey, we might be able to find temporary purpose and temporary happiness, but if you are looking for something more, if you are looking for something deeper, if you are looking for eternal purpose and satisfaction, then look no further than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Jesus looks at those disciples and said, what is it that you're looking for? What what seek ye? What what are you trying to find? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, for we are his workmanship. 
In other words, we are Jesus' masterpiece. Out of all the beauty of creation, the sun, the stars, the galaxies, out of everything that God created, he says, you as a human being are an image bearer of God, that, that you are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, we are not created and we are not saved by our good works, but God has, has called us and we are saved to good works, which means that God does have a purpose and a plan for our lives, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so we have to answer that question. What is it in life that I'm looking for? What am I searching for? Now, notice those two disciples. Notice their response to Jesus. All right, I want you to see it in verse 38. All right, Jesus turned and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? What are you looking for? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Now, that's an interesting response, right? Jesus says, what are you searching for in life? What are you looking for? And they say, Jesus, are you staying at the Marriott or the Hilton? Like, where, where are you staying right now? Like, uh, like where, where are you living? Where are you staying? And they wanted to know where Jesus was staying. And I believe that there's a profound application for us there. They, they were interested in what Jesus had to say, but they didn't just want a passing word. They wanted to spend time with Jesus, And so when they said to Jesus, where are you staying? What that meant was they wanted to spend more time with Jesus than just passing by on the road. See, I think so often what our struggle is today, we want purpose, we want meaning in life, and we want Jesus to give us the answers, but we are content with just a passing word. We are content with a 42-minute sermon on Sunday to be everything that we need from God throughout the week. And see, we cannot be satisfied and content with just a passing word. If you want Jesus to radically transform your life and to discover true purpose and true meaning, you have to spend real, quality, authentic time with him. And so they said, Jesus, we don't want just a passing word. Uh, See, Jesus is not just an add-on in your life. He's not just another subscription to throw into the mix. No, either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And so Jesus is not just something that, it's just a passing word. It's just a little bit, it's what I do for an hour on a Sunday. It's just a little bit here and a little bit there. No, they said, Jesus, we're interested in what you have to say, but where are you staying? Because we want to spend more time with you. I wonder what would happen if there were some Christians and some followers of Jesus in the church that said, we want to spend more time with Jesus and more time in his word and more time with his people and more time in prayer. I wonder what God would do in our midst if we wouldn't settle for a passing word. And so they said, Jesus, where are you Staying, and they wanted to spend more time with him. And so notice how Jesus responds. I love it in verse 39. He said unto them, come and see. Now, this was actually a common expression that a rabbi in the first century would use. If there was disciples coming in, if they were asking a rabbi a question, and the the rabbi might say, well, come and see. Let's talk about it. Come with me. Let's go on a journey, and let's explain this. And so Jesus says, come and see. But is not that the message of Christianity? Come and see. Remember that first Easter, that first Sunday morning when Jesus conquered the grave and the disciples rushed to the tomb? What did the angels say in Matthew 28, verse number 6? He is not here, for he is risen. By the way, aren't you thankful today that we sang about the resurrected king and that he defeated uh, sin, death, and the grave? He's not here. He is risen. And he said, come and see the place. There's an invitation. Come and see. Uh, If you're wondering about Jesus, if you have some questions about Christianity, if you have some objections to Christianity, if you have some things that don't make sense, the invitation is always open, and you're always welcome. Come and see. Come and investigate. Come and see where the Lord lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples. And so that's what we're called to do, to come and see, and then to go and tell. And so Jesus tells these disciples that are wondering, where are you staying? Uh, He says, 
Come and see. Come and discover for yourself. And so today we have to understand, number one, that the world is searching. Here's the second thought that we have to see today. Number two, if you want to see God move and we're going to see a chain reaction and revival, number two is this, point others beyond yourself. Point others beyond yourself. Now, I want you to see it starting in verse number 35. Everybody with me? Again, the next day after John stood, this is not talking about John the Apostle who was writing this book. It's talking about John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Speaking how Jesus would be the perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Behold, the Lamb of God. See, John was not content to point to himself. He wanted to point beyond himself and to point to Jesus. Now, think about this for a second. Before Jesus started his earthly ministry, who was the one that was drawing large crowds? John the Baptist. Who was the one that was uh, gaining more followers on Twitter? John the Baptist. Who was the one that was, that people were traveling all over to the wilderness to come and, and to hear him preach and to see what he had to say? It was John the Baptist. And so really when Jesus came, that meant less of a spotlight for John and actually more suffering for John. Because if you don't know how it ends with John, he's, he gets beheaded by Herod the Great. And so what we see is Jesus comes and John is now going to be in the shadows and he's going to experience great suffering. And yet he was okay with that because there was no jealousy in John. He said, hey, it's all about Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. It's all about him. I, I must decrease. He must increase. In fact, a few verses earlier, John said, well, talking about Jesus, he said, I'm not even worthy to tie the, to tie the straps on his sandals. He says, I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy. See, John was walking in humility, and it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his idea and his brand that he was trying to build. He was uh, very well uh, comfortable with pointing other people to Jesus, pointing people away from himself. But it wasn't John only. It was also the disciples. I want you to see in verse 40. In one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Everybody say Andrew. And then it says this, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And so what we find here is Andrew is pointing to his brother, Peter. He's pointing Peter to Jesus. Now, this is interesting because Andrew, we don't know much about him. But we know a lot about Peter. And we know that Andrew is the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Now, Peter got to go on and do some pretty cool stuff, right? I mean, Peter went on to walk on water. How many of you would say, that's pretty cool, right? And so Peter was able to walk on water. He wrote books in the New Testament. Uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved. Peter got to do some amazing things. It would have been easy for Andrew to say, why don't I get those opportunities? If it wasn't for me, Peter would have never even met Jesus. If I didn't bring Peter to Jesus, why didn't, hey, Jesus, how come I can't be in the inner three with Peter, James, and John? I'd like to be in the inner three. I'd like to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. I'd like to be in uh, on this special group. How come I was here first? But see, Andrew had no jealousy in him either. He, he just loved to point other people to Jesus. And he was just known as Simon Peter's brother. It kind of reminds me of uh, Hudson Taylor's brother. There's a story about Hudson Taylor. How many of you are familiar, if you've heard of Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, one of the most famous missionaries to ever live? Hudson Taylor's brother, uh, for a season in his life, did not want to be in the ministry. He didn't want to be a missionary like his brother. He wanted to go in the business world and make a name for himself. And ironically, he is remembered everywhere as Hudson Taylor's brother. 
And what we see here is Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Everybody knows about Peter, but Andrew was content to point other people to Jesus, to point his brother to Jesus. When I was in college, I went to the city of Blythe, right there in California on the border of Arizona. How many of you know where Blythe is, right? All right, those of you that are cheering, I have absolutely no idea why you would possibly cheer for that place. But uh, Blythe was a place where I would go and I would preach on the weekends. And I remember, I re- remember my first time showing up to Blythe at this little church, at this little chapel. And uh, uh, Noah Jackson knows all about this story. Uh, I, I went and I showed up and there was a sign right out front in, in that church. And it said, Welcome, Pastor Mark Chapel. Well, that's not my name. My name is Matt. And uh, I didn't have the heart to tell them on my first day that that's actually not my name. So for the next six months, people just called me Mark every time I went in. And uh, uh, they just thought that's what my name was. Uh, But hey, that's okay because at the end of the day, we do what we do not for recognition. Not to build a brand, not to build a name, to point people to Jesus. Recognition is not the goal. Reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus is the goal. And when your life is all about reaching other people, you don't care who gets the credit. You don't care whose name is in the spotlight. You don't care who's out front. As long as people are being transformed for all of eternity, that is the priority. And this is what we see in this narrative, that there was a chain reaction uh, that took place because everyone was just pointing other people to Jesus. It wasn't about any one individual. It was about them pointing others to Christ. And so this is what we see taking place. And so notice verse number 42. It says, and he brought him. This is talking about Andrew. He brought him, Peter, his brother. He brought him. Everybody say brought him. He He went out and found him. He brought him to Jesus. Now, We don't know much about Andrew, but this is what we do know. Every time he's mentioned in scripture, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Here in this passage, he's bringing his brother Peter to Jesus. In John chapter 6, he's bringing the lad with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. In John chapter 12, there were two inquiring Greeks that wanted to hear from Jesus. And so what did Andrew do? He did what he did best, and he brought them to Jesus. I wonder what would happen if at our church at Rock Hill, there would be more men and women who had a heart like Andrew that just found joy in bringing other people to Jesus. He says, I'm going to bring them in. And so every time you see Andrew, he has this heart to bring other people in. He was brought so that he could bring. Now, notice verse 42. Everybody stay with me today? Notice verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas. And so Jesus changes Simon Peter's name here and gives him a new name, Cephas. Now, in the first century in the ancient world, uh, most all of people had two names. They would have their Greek name because Greek was the common language that was spoken uh, throughout uh, the regions. And so they would have a Greek name and then they would also have a name in their native tongue. And so Peter was uh, his Greek name. And then Jesus gives him this Aramaic name, Cephas, and gives him this new identity. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus give Peter this new identity and call him Cephas, which means stone? If you remember in the Old Testament, Jesus would often give someone a new name, right, Uh, with Jacob. He changed Jacob's name from deceiver to uh, Israel, to the one who will prevail, to the victorious one, identifying a new relationship and a new standing. And I love this because Jesus looks at Peter, and he doesn't speak to Peter for who he is. He speaks to Peter for who he will become. 
He's speaking not to his past. He's speaking to his potential. I'm thankful that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us for who we are. He sees us for who we will become. He didn't just look at Peter and say, here's a Galilean fisherman who's uneducated, who's probably going to get in trouble, never amount to anything. No, he looked at Peter and said, there is someone that can turn the world upside down. There is someone that can be bold in preaching uh, the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus doesn't just speak to our past, but he speaks to our potential? He looks at Peter and says, now... Cephas, a stone, a rock, changes his name, gives him a new identity. And today, what I want us to see is we have to recognize the world is searching. Jesus says, what are you looking for? We have to uh, point others beyond ourselves. And here's the third thought today. Number three, we have to locate the lost. We have to locate the lost. We're going to go out. We're going to go out to the highways, to the hedges, and compel them. To, we're going to locate the lost. Now, I want you to see how this plays out here in verse number 43. Now, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and said unto him, follow me. Now, Philip was of uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And then watch verse 45. Then Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And I love the chain reaction. Did you see it? That John brought Andrew and Andrew brought Peter and Jesus found Philip and Philip what did he do he went and found Nathaniel there was this chain reaction that was taking place the gospel was was spreading and people were coming to Jesus why is this because found people find people this is the principle that we have to remember today found people find people. If the life-giving message of Jesus has come to you, then it should go through you. And so there was this natural progress that when someone encountered Jesus, they went and found somebody else. I wonder in your life, who have you found? Who have you located? Who have you said, this person needs to get saved. I really believe in a heaven and a hell. And this is someone that God has put on my heart, in my neighborhood, in my family, uh, where I work. And I need to bring them in, just like Philip went and said, Nathaniel, you've got to come. And he brought him in to Jesus. This is the process that we are called to, to locate the lost. Several years ago, in fact, uh, over 50 years ago, there was a man in southwest Colorado. His name was Stephen Sunmore. And Stephen Sunmore was uh, uh, a missionary or a pastor that wanted to uh, start up a church. And he went and he was just going to all the little farm communities and villages in, uh, in uh, southwest Colorado. And he was knocking on doors and saying, hey, would you come and, and uh, be a part of this kids event that we're having, this children's program. And one of the doors that Stephen Sunmore knocked on was my great granddad, whose name was Paul Chapel went and knocked on his door, invited the kids to come. The kids ended up coming, and he ended up praying and accepting Christ as a Savior. And because my great-grandfather accepted that invitation from Steve Sunmore, then my granddad also got saved. And because my granddad got saved, my dad got saved. Because my dad got saved, I was led to the Lord. And what I'm trying to say today is this is the heart of God, that there would be a chain reaction. Never underestimate the power of one invitation and what one invite can do for the eternal kingdom of God. Yesterday, we passed out thousands of invitations. I think Daniel said earlier that we've gotten out 5,000 invitations into our community. Never underestimate what God can do with one. In a minute today, can you hear me that? In a minute today, we're going to pass out these cards, and I believe many of you already have these cards, and we're inviting who is the one, the one person. And what I want to encourage you today is don't think this is silly, this is meaningless. Never underestimate what God can do with one invitation. And we're believing that God's going to do something special. What did 
Philip do? Jesus found Philip, and Philip said, I've got to go get Nathaniel. I've got to go and locate the lost. And then he says at the end of verse number 45, and he said unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. And this speaks to the fact that the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is all pointing to one person, Jesus Christ. He he said the one that Moses and the prophets did talk about, uh, perhaps he was referring to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, that says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. Uh, But Philip recognized this is not just another good teacher. This is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. And he went to Philip and said, we found him. Uh, There was this excitement. We found the Messiah. Now, notice verse number 46. And Nathanael said unto him, now watch Nathanael's response, because I believe it's indicative for our culture today. And Nathanael said unto him, can there anything good come out of Nazareth? What Nathanael said was, I don't know. I, I know about Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, today, maybe a little context will be helpful. Today, Kate and I, we visited Nazareth a few years ago. Today, Nazareth is a city of upwards of 90,000 people. But in the first century, Nazareth was a little village of 100 to 300 people. And so Nazareth was viewed in contempt. When, when, when Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was not the place that anyone really wanted to go and to hang out at. Nazareth was just a little village that you passed by on a way to a better city. And so uh, Nathaniel couldn't understand, could anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Nathaniel responded to the invitation with a little bit of skepticism. And I believe today what we're seeing in our culture and undoubtedly you've seen in your life played out that, that there are so many people that are viewing the Bible, that are viewing the message of Jesus through the lens of skepticism. I don't know if we can trust that book. That was written a long time ago. I don't know. Yeah, Jesus, okay, I understand. There, he said some nice things, but is he really the savior of the world that offers forgiveness of sins? I'm not sure. And there's, there's an increasing amount of skepticism, just like Nathaniel. I don't know. He, he wasn't very excited when Philip came to invite him. Lee Strobel, he said this, and Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Christ. We have a small group right now that's, that's studying this book together. Lee Strobel said this recently, I'm noticing an exciting trend around the country, a resurgence of interest in Christian apologetics. And Christian apologetics is simply the defense of the faith, to, to know what you believe and why you believe it. He says, this is a reaction to the current attacks on the essentials of Christianity that are coming from militant atheists, radical professors, and internet gadflies. In other words, what he's saying is there is an increasing amount of skepticism in our country, in our world today, and with that increasing amount of skepticism, there should be an increasing number of followers of Jesus that are ready to defend the faith and share the gospel. And so he says there's a resurgence today uh, when it comes to people knowing what they believe and why they believe it. And I would encourage you today, that's exactly where you need to find yourself in a place where you know what you believe and why you believe it. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready. Everybody say, be ready. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And so when you have a coworker that does come to you and says, hey, I have a question about life. And when you have a family member that says, hey, I don't know about this and, and I'm not sure about the Bible. Hey, you should be ready to respond and to give an answer. But I want you to notice how Philip responds to Nathaniel's skepticism. Okay, I want you to see it in verse 46. Everybody still with me? He says this. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know. Philip said unto him, come and see. Come and see. I love that that Philip does not get in a lengthy argument here with Nathaniel. I love that he says, hey, if you're curious, if you have questions, then come and see. He didn't shy away from it. He says, hey, I want you to come and experience it for yourself. See, one of the greatest apologetic tools that you have is simply the invitation to come and see. 
And I would encourage you, if you have someone in your life that is a skeptic, someone that is uh, having a lot of questions, or maybe that's you, I would invite you to do the same thing that Philip did, to come and see, to study the word of God for yourself, to read the gospel of John, and to make your own conclusion about who Jesus is. Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a good prophet? Or is he exactly who he says he is? And so there's this invitation to come and see. Hey, you might not have all the answers. You might not have everything figured out. And you might not know every single argument there is to have in in response to defending the faith. But you can always extend an invitation. You can always say, I'm not exactly sure about that. But how about you come and sit with me in church on Sunday? Come and see. And and hey, let's research this together. And so that's exactly what uh, Philip does. He says, come and see. Notice verse 47. Jesus saw that Nathanael was coming uh, to him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Now, this was a tribute and a phrase that any uh, Israelite, a faithful Israelite, would have recognized and understood. Psalm 32 verse 2 says, Blessed is the man unto the Lord who imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Okay, so this was a common phrase, a common expression, really a compliment for Nathanael, a compliment to his honesty. Then in verse number 48, Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Like, you don't, Jesus, you don't know me. How do you know me? How, why are you saying that you don't know my story? So often people don't want to come to church and they don't want to be around a community of believers because they have this assumption, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my story. You, uh, I, I, I wouldn't dare go into a church after what I've experienced. You, you don't know my situation. This was Nathanael's response. You, you don't know me. Verse 48, Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when I was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, a lot of different commentators have an opinion on what this means under the fig tree. Some commentators say this was a sign of, a, of, of Jewish prosperity if you were sitting under your own fig tree studying. And, and so there's a lot of different uh, ideas about what this means. But here's the point. Jesus saw him in his condition. He knew about his life. And Nathaniel knew, how, how could he know that I was hanging out under the fig tree? How did Jesus know that was my spot? How did he know that? And so now Nathanael is curious, verse 48, verse 49. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. He says, true, you you know about my situation. You do know me. Because no one else could have known where I was, but Jesus knew. Can I tell you today that Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your head today? That hurt that no one else knows about, that offense that no one else knows about, Jesus knows. That barrier that's in your heart, that, uh, that, 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 that barrier that's in your mind that you just can't quite get over, that you just can't quite come to terms with, Jesus knows. Jesus looked at Nathaniel and said, I saw you under the fig tree, and now Nathaniel is amazed, and he believes, wow, you must be the son of God if you know me. If you know that, you must be. Now, notice verse 50. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than the, and I I love this, thou shalt see greater things than these. He he said, Nathaniel, you thought that was impressive? You thought that that was impressive that I knew you were under the fig tree? Just wait and see what I can do in your life. Just wait and see how I can turn the world upside down. Just wait and see when I go to the cross and I die on the cross for the sins of all of humanity so that 2,000 years later we can gather together and we can still preach the name of Jesus and still declare that Jesus alone saves. Just wait and see. Greater. I believe that God wants to do greater things for Rock Hill Church. I believe that God wants to do greater things in your midst. I believe that God can use an open house Sunday to do greater things in our community, greater things than we could possibly ever imagine. But will we trust him and walk by faith? Will we obey him and extend 
the invitation? Will there be a chain reaction? And this leads us to our fourth and final thought today. Number four is this. Not only do we have to point others beyond ourselves and locate the lost, but number four, we have to consider the hope that Jesus offers. I'm thankful today that Jesus offers a hope for the hurting soul. That the, the promise of heaven, the promise of hope, the promise of eternity. And notice what he says in verse 51. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you hereafter, that you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So I have some guys coming. They're going to help me this morning. They're going to bring this ladder up. Now, when Jesus here talks about uh, this this, uh, ladder, he's saying uh, the angels that are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, he's referencing something, all right? Now, since everyone's watching the ladder and not me, let's all bring it in here for a second. Now, when Jesus says the Son of Man, uh, the Son of Man is a title referred to the Messiah. Jesus actually, it's used 12 times in the Gospel of John. In fact, it's Jesus' most uh, common and his favorite expression about himself. It referred to his humility, the Son of Man. Uh, This was first used in Daniel chapter 7. It's talking about the Messiah. And so when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah, okay? And he's saying the angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, if if you're familiar with redemptive history in your Bible, all the way back in Genesis chapter chapter 28, uh, there is a story that Jesus is referencing. It's a famous story called Jacob's Ladder, okay? Jacob has this dream, and Jacob has this dream, and I'm going to read it in Genesis chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. He said, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. Now, uh, part of the reason maybe Jacob had a crazy dream is because stones were his pillows, right? He had some rocks, and he was laying his head down there, and uh, uh, I know that that would probably not be a very comfortable night's sleep. He laid down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, okay? So, so Jacob has this dream. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, God would often speak to people through dreams. Today, we have the blessing, the privilege, the miracle of God's Word, and so when we want to hear from God, we can go to His Word and know exactly what He's saying in the old testament they couldn't just say hey turn to john chapter one and so god would communicate through dreams and so jacob is going to have a dream to which god is going to communicate and here's the dream and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top reached to heaven the top reached to heaven and behold the angels of god ascending and descending on it and so this is the story that Jesus is referencing here in John chapter 1 to Nathaniel, who is the skeptic that had some questions that was still unsure about this whole thing. Jesus is referencing this story. Now, this story, Jesus makes it clear that the angels were ascending and descending upon who? The Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus. And so the angels were ascending and descending upon Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. And it's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. The fact that the Bible says that the ladder touches the earth, that is a picture of the incarnation of Jesus. That God sent forth his only begotten son and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And so the fact that the ladder touches the earth is a picture of his incarnation. The fact that the ladder reaches the heaven, Genesis says, that is a picture of Jesus' ascension. That Jesus, after he was resurrected, went back up into heaven. And the fact that the angels are ascending and descending upon the ladder the son of man is a picture of his mediation and the bible says that there is one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus what jesus is saying is there is only one way to heaven there is only one way for eternal life it's by me jesus is saying i'm the ladder 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's not another ladder. There's not another elevator. There's not a set of stairs. It's by Jesus and Jesus alone that we can have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. He says, the angels are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He says, Nathaniel, when you can understand what this is really all about, uh, greater things are in store. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christian Post, just this past month in August, said that 60% of people that claim to follow Jesus, 60% of people that claim to be Christians, 60% of people under the age of 40 have said that Jesus is not the only way. So in case you missed it, 60% of people that say I'm a Christian would also say that Jesus is on the same playing field equal to Buddha and Muhammad. But see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, it's not about religion. It's not about uh, being a good person. It's only about knowing Jesus. The angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. It's a picture of Jesus. Jesus was reminding Philip, Nathaniel, and everyone else that there that day what this is all about. Today, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. There's only one way. There's only one ladder. It's by receiving the free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You just invite Jesus in. And this is what we need to be reminded of as we're going into a season of open house when we are going out to tell people this is the message that we're telling them. Jesus is the only way. This is what we're passionate about. This is why we have to have a sense of urgency because we don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, yesterday we were commemorating and, and remembering September 11th, 2001. The 20-year anniversary was yesterday. And last night I was uh, getting my son Luke ready for bed and I was explaining to him the importance of remembering this date. And, and of course he had no idea uh, what this was about. And I was telling him what happened and why it's important to, to, to remember this date and to uh, honor our first responders and things like this. And I read this week a story about a survivor from the World Trade Center that was working there that day on September 11th. And, and she has since gone on to tell her story. And perhaps you've heard of her. Her name is uh, Don Robinson. And Don Robinson worked on the 61st floor of the World Trade Center. And she worked for Morgan Stanley Financial Company. And, and uh, her and her uh, colleagues, uh, she was constantly inviting them uh, to come to church. And she tells her story. She's a Christian. She was explaining Jesus to them. In particular, she had one friend named Cassie. And uh, she tells this about in her testimony. And she says that her friend Cassie was really interested in Jesus and really interested in, in, in what Jesus had to say, but wasn't ready to believe, wasn't ready to accept him. And in fact, in her own words, and they both tell the story to, uh, to talk about this, uh, Cassie said, I, I'm interested, but I'm not ready to get on the bus. I'm just not ready to fully commit. I'm not ready to get on the bus. Well, on September 11, 2001, uh, they were thrown against the wall of their office uh, because the plane had just hit 20 floors above where they were working. And she describes the scene and she talks about it, how, how they were uh, rushing in a panic to get down the stairs. It took over an hour just to get uh, down uh, to the lower lobby. She said once they finally got to the lower lobby, people were screaming in panic. And she said it was completely pitch black because of all the smoke that was covering where they were. And she said they were just running and screaming for their lives. And she said Cassie just so happened to be next to her. And as she tells a story, she says, this is a true story that, 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 they, that both of them share, that as they were running away, they happened to uh, feel and spot an abandoned city bus. 
they found this abandoned city bus and both of them pried the doors open. There was uh, scores of other people inside trying to stay away from the smoke. They both went inside of the bus and there Don was pleading with Cassie saying, you've got to accept Christ. We don't know if we're going to make it through this day. We don't know if we're going to survive this. You've got to give your life to Christ. And there on the city bus, Cassie gave her life to Christ. She had this sense of urgency. We can't go on another minute until you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. You can know that based on what Jesus said and his word. There was a sense of urgency. And what I'm trying to get us to remember today is we don't know what tomorrow holds. And as followers of Jesus, we have the hope of the gospel. We know the, the way to heaven. We know that it's through Jesus Christ alone. And there has to be a sense of urgency and passion for us to go out and bring other people in. We've been brought so that we can now bring. And so as we approach this Open House Sunday, this is not just a silly event that we threw on the calendar. We believe that this is a holy moment for our church to take the Great Commission seriously to go and to preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them and teaching them as what Jesus has commanded us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.